Welcome to the DTF Printing Podcast. I'm Adrian Palmer, Editor-in-Chief of DTF Printing. I'm here with Davis Slagle, VP of B Graphics in Fredericktown, Pennsylvania, just outside of Pittsburgh. Today we're chatting about what it's like to move entirely to DTF Printing, finding your niche, and employee retention. Hey, Davis. Adrian, how are you? Great. Thanks for joining today. How are you? I'm wonderful. I got to say thank you for having me. You're one of my absolute favorite people in the industry, uh, professionally and personally. You bring a lot of energy to the space, and I'm super happy you're on the direct-to-film train with the rest of us. (laughs) Thanks, Davis. I appreciate that so much. It's, It's awesome to be a part of it, and it's really cool, especially kind of our journey of meeting each other, I think, was kind of just in that, like, it was really the first time I had ever heard of DTF. Direct to Film was talking to you. I think we were walking the SNS uh, floor outside of Chicago before Shirt Lab, and you're like telling me about all about this. And I was like, "Wait, what is this?" And then you didn't know about it then. Not as much as obviously I know now. I was really stuck <laughs> in the the wide format world and like more just like direct screen printing. And then when I was thinking of hopping on to DTF, I called you and I was like, is this what we were talking about? And you were like, yes, because (laughs) during the pandemic, you switched from screen printing to DTF and embroidery, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, So we had we had embroidery in house. uh, So we had uh, a manual screen print, an automatic screen print press and um, two older forehead uh, embroidery machines that we had been phasing out into single head, uh, Melco's. Um, and I caught it was, so when pandemic hit, we shut down, uh, completely closed for three months. We didn't get the variants from the state where we could be open to work or do anything. And <clears throat> a little bit after that happened, uh, we kind of got back in. Nothing was really moving. There was no real business at all. And I had, caught wind of this technology and started doing some research. And that led me to someone in New Zealand who led me to someone in China who then, uh, then I had to convince my boss who owns the company. It's my dad that, Hey, we just took a loss for nine straight months and we're going to send $15,000 overseas and see what happens. Wow. (laughs) That was the start of it. And we got in and there was no direct film superstore. There was no suppliers in the United States selling the equipment, no film locally. Uh, the videos were all in Mandarin. Um, it was like cha- point here, change this. No, don't squeeze that, squeeze this. Uh, and it was very, very rough uh, early on where I would be up in the middle of the night from midnight to 6 a.m. working with the, the Chinese to understand this process. And it wasn't good in the beginning, but we could see the potential in it. And, uh, after I, I don't, I'm not sure. I think we're on printer count number eight. Now, um, we have four operating, but we, we were up through our, uh, first one, first four are now out of the question. And, uh, we understand just about everything you can about these printers as far as, the humidity issues, the, uh, the ink issues when the printheads have issues. And it's, it's a learning curve. Um, it's not for everyone. It's not plug and play and, but it can provide great results. So once it, once that worked, then we sold the screen printing presses, um, made that room bigger. Uh, we have an entire heat press farm 
Uh, we have an entire room dedicated just to printing. And we still sell a bunch of screen printing. We just contract it out to a partner. So uh, it has completely, and we've changed our business model to a lot of on-demand online store printing that we do ourselves in-house where our bulk is mostly contracted. Right. Are you excited to have those hours back and during your sleep cycle now that things have <laughs> moved over more to U.S. customer service? Yes, uh, yeah, we are. Um, it's the time frame still a little bit off because we do work with the guys in Arizona. Uh, so we have to wait a little bit to get in touch with them. But for the most part, once they got to set up a run and haven't needed much tech support. Uh, so I can't I don't have any bad things to say about uh, say about the help we got from we run Mongoose, as if people were wondering uh, from Direct Film Superstore. And um, once we kind of worked out the kinks of it and. They, they're running and they're we we're, we know how to maintain them. Did you have to make any major staff changes from employees who were so used to the screen printing process moving over to DTF? Yes. So part of the reason we transitioned was because we had trouble finding screen printers. So finding, hiring, and maintaining a screen printer on staff is in this world, almost a diamond in the rough right now. They are hard to come by. And, uh, we had a guy that was running Roland print cut systems for us. So we, that's how we would do our customization. We would print hmm. them and cut them out with a vinyl. Well, he transitioned to being in charge of the direct film printers and we sold all, we, we trashed all the Rolands. We don't lo no longer use any of that technology. Okay. So he took over that department. The screen printers left. Um, and the people that were involved either trained, trained, transitioned to a heat press area or left the company. We didn't have, we had four employees in the print production specific side of it. So uh, majority stayed, but kind of how things worked out is uh, we hired new and um, training for heat pressing is much simpler than training to set up an automatic screen print press. Yes. I, I have joked that if I can do it, anyone can do it. So <laughs> I can imagine the training isn't too difficult there. Um, and then you're saying you're not really running into too much tech issues now, but you also mentioned it's not just plug and play. Can you talk a little bit about the balance there on the tech side? Yes, it's a learning curve. And why I'm saying we're not running into too many issues now is we're three years into it, three okay. plus years into it. So we know, we know the warning signs of when something is going bad or something's going to happen. And we know what to do to avoid head strikes. And uh, we have weekly and biweekly and monthly maintenance schedules on every piece of equipment. So uh, they are, they're being maintained. They're being kept up. Um, there's not powder forming in the motors of the shakers. There's not just stuff laying around everywhere. It's a very, it's almost like a surgical room where mm -hmm. nothing's out of place. It's super clean all the time. The temperature is always consistent. Uh, that's probably the best way to relate to how we operate that print room. No dust. Um, and if you keep it super clean and organized and it's easy to ease, much easier to maintain. Right. But early on, we didn't have a clue what we were doing. And we bought a second one because we couldn't keep the first one up 
running long enough because something was always breaking. So when we needed to get into production, we had to have two in case one went down. So it, it was kind of a, uh, <coughs> excuse me, a lesser of two evils, I right. guess. Uh, it, was, it was better to have two than have only just one that worked half the time. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, with the big transition from selling all of your equipment, which I guess I should ask, was that an easy thing to do? Did you just go on Facebook Marketplace or did you know someone or did you go on to a classified section specific to screen printing? Like, how did you get all yeah. that equipment? out it wasn't easy um yeah. you would think it'd be easier but some of it was like a 10 year old automatic 12 year old high pressure count uh we sold it on marketplace um and i had a very interesting person buy it that took me a lot of convincing to sell a something i was selling for pennies yeah. um on the dollar uh, i probably would have been better off just scrapping this <laughs> and getting it out of there um, oh my gosh but no, it was uh, the transition of cleaning it. Like our, our screen room was dirty. Like our screen printers weren't cleaned. And we went to this super clean process. Like there was ink everywhere. There was squeezies were never cleaned, right? Tensions were never held on meshes. Um, I sold off the screens. I sold off everything. I, the inks to local partners or local printers around me. Um, anything I had available was up for sale. The burn table the washout booth, everything was for sale. And if it didn't go, I took my loss and trashed it. Um, and I, the space was more important than trying to sell something for one eightieth of what you paid for it. Right. Did you have any downtime in between getting rid of that equipment and bringing on the new equipment? Uh, we were running the printers before we shot down the screen printing department. Okay. And before we actually got rid of it all together, we had stuff going to our contractor for right. two to three months. And we were only backup printing and screen printing there. Mm. So like we weren't even our main printer at that time. We tr gradually transi transitioned to moving up to a partner and still outsourced those jobs while we had the equipment. Once we realized we had that under control, that's when the equipment left. Okay. Were you having any conversations with your customers during this process? Did they care at all that this change was happening? Do they care now? Like, what does that look like? Or what did it look like? I didn't ask them. Yeah. Nor did I tell them. Okay. So they don't um, know that there's been a change at all? No. And if you think 99% of the world cares how their shirt is printed, you're grossly mistaken. Uh, there are... There are sticklers that want their discharge print or want their certain sheen, but I guarantee you the baseball team down the street or the, the construction company around the corner does not know how their t-shirts pour. Just like you don't know what kind of materials are in that concrete they're pouring. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a stigma that we classify on ourselves that that isn't good enough in the printing industry. Mm -hmm. That Oh yeah, that won't work. Our customer won't like that. But the guys that sell the most T-shirts in our industry, the biggest of all the printers, half their stuff is crooked or, or we complain about their stuff too, but they're selling 100 million times what a shot my size is printing. And that's not good enough either. Well, then I guess DTF falls in the category that it's not good enough. But I have had two people oh, out of thousands of online orders say they didn't like the feel of it. And 
in those cases, they weren't incorrect. It was a badly designed piece of artwork for direct mm. film. It was heavy. There was no show through. But as far as as far as if you do it right and the print is of good quality before you press it, nothing's coming back. Yeah. But you did say you are still contracting out some of your screen printing projects. Correct. But I don't and even I- tell them when I'm what 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 source of we 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 decide what we think is best for them based on whether they're looking for price, high color count, high quantity. Um, if I think somebody has 500 shirts or a thousand shirts and uh, they need a 25 color print on it, well, then I think the M and R machines are better for that. The digital squeegees, like, why are you going to waste all that time on transfers and heat presses when that thing can cruise through them? Okay. So. I feel like there's places for every piece of equipment. Um, order for a thousand one color prints. Why would you ever want to do that on a direct film printer? Yeah. Send that to a screen printer, get it done for two bucks, three bucks, whatever, whatever they charge you, and deliver the shirts to your end user. Mm-hmm. Did you change your pricing at all when you moved to DTF? So, yes and no. Um, I change my pricing every year. Okay. Pricing goes up constantly. Uh, but we have competitive pricing, I'd like to call it. And we have a one color pricing list, a two color pricing list and a full color pricing list. And that's based off of if so, if I'm competing against someone screen printing 24 pieces, then I use my one color DTF price list. And if I'm competing a two color, anything above that's a full color. So that keeps me competitive when we compare, no matter how I do it. I know I'm printing it with film, but I know my pricing to the end user is competitive to what they'll see in the market. And I don't tell them how we do it. Right. Are most of your customers in the Pittsburgh area or do you have customers all over the country? We, most of our bulk order customers are in the Pittsburgh region, but we have online stores that are sold all across the United States. Okay. And um, and we'll even ship international through the people that set up online stores with us. Okay. So um, I want to say we shipped to 36 states last year. Um, and again, not crazy numbers in all those states, but still quite a bit. And it's not centralized. We have one. We have a spinoff of, of our company. And I'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, it's called Rugby. But we ship all over the country with this to different teams and organizations. Yeah. Do you want to talk about rugby now? So why don't we just save rugby for a little bit later? Sounds good. Keep the listeners excited for what's to come. Um, so now that you are a DTF expert, you, you've been in it from the beginning. Um, what would you say, looking back, has been the biggest hurdle? Oh, good question. The early days were the hardest. The consumables were awful. The films, the powders... Nothing was you would buy from the same supplier twice and they'd be two separate products. Um, So we getting a consistent quality um, every every time six months later was very, very hard to come by. I feel like with having Americans involved in it and people reselling in America, that has forced them to develop a product that works and maintain it and to keep that product for 
a multiple year life cycle, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, they're not forcing you into a new film every three to six months, which is what was happening earlier. Oh, we mm -hmm. don't have any more of that here. Try this. Then that changes all of your heat press settings, changes all your curing times. And it was difficult. Mm -hmm. um, but that was that was the largest hurdle. And probably getting getting the staff on board that we're going to shake up what we did for the last 16 years. And Hey, I got this crazy idea and we're going to roll with it. You, are you in? <laughs> that was yeah. the question. Do you, do you, uh, you got faith in me that I can make this work? Yeah. And change is hard. They all bought in. That's great. It took That's a little convincing, but yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> right. But yeah, the, I feel like the inconsistency part would be very frustrating and then, yeah, having that buy-in with something, change is difficult, and then change mm. into the unknown is even more difficult. So kudos <laughs> to your team, to trusting in you as a leader and saying, okay, let's do it. Yeah, and then one of the biggest things was once we kind of figured out what we were doing was getting documented processes of how we do everything, documented training, um, if this, then that situations, and I don't run the printers day to day. That is, uh, that is not what I do. Um, so when I go back there, if I have to fill in for someone that's out or whatever's going on, I actually refer to the documents we created. So I know how to operate the machines uh, and start them up and shut them down and uh, maintain them throughout the day. Uh, so it's those processes actually retrain me when I have to step in or the production manager has to step in. With the creating of the documents, do you follow any type of like lean or Six Sigma um, processes or production type things? Or is or is the documentation you're creating just something that you decided was something very important to do? We don't follow lean or Six Sigma, uh, but we probably are close to it. Mm -hmm. I've only ever read into them in the cliff notes, I guess. I guess it's the best way to say it. Mm -hmm. Never really fully adopted those, but from people I talk to that do, it sounds like we do very similar things. Okay. Uh, we document, we process, we question if it's the best way to go about it. We test it. Once we agree on it, we then uh, map out uh, if it's a computer process, we make a click by click guide uh, using scribe. Yeah. And then we save that in a place that the entire office can find. Um, if it's a physical process, we'll pull out our phone and record videos. Right. And it, it works. Yeah. I, I mean, I am a visual learner. And then next to that, I have to do it to, to kind of figure it out. So I would imagine having those videos and actually seeing the process would be so beneficial, especially to someone like me. There's another piece, piece I'm looking to implement this year. And it's it's kind of like online education. You know how after they teach you something, you have to go do it? Mm-hmm. This is the very similar steps where it's all on a platform. You're graded. It says you completed the class. And we're looking at that as can we cross train employees using this online platform and then require them to have so many hours of actually doing that to then be class three heat press or mm. class two embroidery and give different tiers to the employees um, by having them more knowledgeable in the craft. 
Right. Kind of like an internal certification, like internal training program, and you receive some type of certification at the end. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. Very cool. Okay. So we talked about the challenges. What about like, what's the biggest benefit now that you're in it and it's working and you're happy? I love the fact that no matter what we have going on, I can say yes to a rush order, stop whatever's on press and start whatever order I want to in about 15 minutes. If the artwork's done, I'm not tied to anything. I have the ability, uh, I have the flexible uh, ways that with having multiple printers, I can shut anything down, start something else up and I'm able to help people faster. Um, Mm -hmm. every business of ours has a customer that has the end of the world nightmare situation or somebody passed away or somebody needs something quick. And it's a, it tugs on your heartstrings, right? And you want to do everything you can to help them. Well, now I don't have to, I don't have to bat an eye at it. I know I can stop whatever we're doing print the transfers, stop everyone in the heat press department, put everyone on that order for an hour and then go back to what we were doing. So I, that's, that's one of the biggest things Our on demand online stores are, um, we, we were doing a bunch of them. We've been doing stores for 15 years with paper forms, uh, and selling screen printed designs and everything else. And that has come a long way where uh, we just crossed over a thousands online stores. Wow. So that was, a, that was a big hurdle for us to get over. And it's, it's just growing. I think we've raised over 1.2 or 1.3 million for people since starting this. And uh, it's just a, it's a win-win. And we, we've perfected our processes at it. So we think until we rip them down and try to make them better. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, the online stores you mentioned, there are some international shipments. You know, how are you getting the word out that you have the ability to make these online stores? Is that kind of word of mouth or do you do advertising for that? Yeah, so it is uh, as bad as I am to say this. We are not a very well marketed company. We are mostly a word of mouth and people talk about what kind of service we provide. Okay. And if somebody uses us for their team's organization and they buy on it and they see how easy it is, they may tell their boss or they may be the boss at a corporation. And Hey, why don't we have this for our company? Okay. So there are plans in place to be better marketers in 2024. And right now we're working on the processes of what happens after we market. So we want, we wanted to have this, the house built, before we invited people in. Right. That makes sense. And that's what, that, that's our big January goal. Cool. Very exciting. Yeah. The word of mouth is a a pretty typical response from someone in the apparel industry and especially people who are more localized, but it seems like the more I talk to people, they have, they see the benefit of either hiring a sales rep or figuring out a marketing plan that can get them outside of just that word of mouth person to person referral. So I'll be interested to see how that works out for you and like what the, what the steps you're taking and and what that will look like in a few months. Yeah. I mean, we do, we do some marketing. We threw out a funny Christmas card video uh, and it was me dressed up as buddy, the elf running around Walmart (laughs) and doing all kinds of antics in my shop. And I mean, it's getting 30, 40,000 views in a week or so there's attention being driven to it, but it's a lot more 
just community attention and telling people who we are, and what we do. It wasn't, it was more entertainment based. And if I have one marketing tip, it is to entertain. And we are writing, we are writing a strategy based on entertainment this year. I love that. I really think that that is such a valuable tip for people to remember that it doesn't have to just be, this is what our product is. This is what it costs. Done. Like show some life, show some excitement, entertain people and they'll see who you are and what type of shop you're running and what kind of business you are. Um, so yeah, I'll have to check out that video. Sounds fun. <laughs> it, 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 it was pretty funny. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you're the biggest misconception that you think there might be for the actual apparel printing industry, apparel decoration industry is that at the end of the day, the customers really don't care how it was printed. They just want a quality piece of, of, work that they're getting from you. Um, but what would you say your biggest misconception of DTF printing is? My biggest misconception. Hmm. One of the things that we struggled with early on was to when to use it and when not to use it. Um, it doesn't do everything well. Uh, there's, there's processes better at certain quantities, at certain types of decorations. And it, it, while it can cover everything, if you're a small one person shop, the bigger your shop is, it's just a tool. Okay. It's only, it's just another piece of the tool belt. It, it's, do you know where, where it's places in your business? Do you have the staff to operate it? Are you doing it by yourself and trying to sell? Should you have a machine if you're a one man show? Or should you just sell and have a heat press? Like the, I feel like depending on where you're at in your journey, there's different questions that need to be asked. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I said, if you're a one person shop, you shouldn't be printing transfers. You may think it's cheaper, but you're using all your time to do that. You're not mm -hmm. selling anything at that point. Mm -hmm. And if you're a 10 person shop and you do signs and screen printing, it still may not be worth it to bring your own printer in. <laughs> Right. Like it, there, there's trade-offs and you have to look at that situation every, every which way mm -hmm. and where it actually works with your business. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions is, oh yeah, I'll just get a printer, bring it in and it'll solve all my problems. But there's a whole new set of problems that come with, uh, staffing and production and materials and exhausting and, uh, all the build out, like all the power and everything that has to go into setting up a room. Yeah. I so. think the, the biggest answer to that, like any of those types of questions, mm -hmm. like it depends, like everything really depends on your environment, how many staff members you have, you know, who your customers are, what your output is each week, month, year, like it all really depends. And you can, you just have to mm -hmm. really dig into that to figure out what works for you. And if you don't know your numbers start, if yeah. you don't know how many pieces you're selling a week right now, before you buy any equipment, count for a month, see what you're selling for a month and then say, okay, if I bought this equipment and I only sold the same amount of pieces for the next two years, how long would it take me to pay off that equipment? Mm -hmm. I hate to see people that jump in with all great intentions and don't have the capability to support it. And then they get underwater and distressed and, and then angry against the industry or their machine supplier or whoever. And it's just because it wasn't a right decision or it wasn't super well thought out. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think some of the best vendors and then even just some of the other like the best um, print shop owners who are willing to mm-hmm. share with others are just the ones who are being honest and saying, you know, do you really need this piece of equipment instead of just trying to sell something, you know, oh, okay, you're interested, let's go. It's like, really dig into what that looks like. And yeah, knowing your numbers, that's the big one. I have to talk to myself for a week before I buy any equipment. Yeah. Like I ask myself <laughs> the same question every day for a week. Yeah. And try to talk myself out of it. Yeah. Uh, I not. Nah, now, granted, I do have a habit of impa- impulse buying too. So right, <laughs> that's that may be just a personal thing. Yeah, hmm. finding that balance. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, where would you like to see DTF in the next few years? Anything that you want on the equipment side? Anything that you would like within your shop? Yeah, so we are. I'm big on automations. I'm big on AI trends, automations how quickly you can communicate, how quickly you can get to market, how quickly you can get to press, um, the analyzing of the data automatically. Like there's a lot of things that we're implementing. And there's missing pieces between the software that is a software that's available to our industry and the software that is used to run the printers. There's communication delays where mm-hmm. you have to, let's just use Printava, one of the more popular softwares in our industry, right? Mm-hmm. You save the artwork in Printava, you save the file, you send somebody else a task, they open it up on the printer, they have to open it up on the RIP software, they have to uh, put how many, they have to print it, right? There's, a, there's, I don't know, I just said nine things <laughs> from a designer to get something off the printer. Yeah. That's where I feel like there is uh, a big drop-off. And uh, you were from the wide format world Mm -hmm. originally. Yeah. There's not that big of a drop-off in the wide format world. No. No, not not at all. Yeah. That's that's a hurdle with with our technology now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. No, it's been very interesting kind of. I was in the wide format space for almost 11 years and that's my, that was my entry point into print. So really before I got into the apparel industry, I, that's all I really knew was digital print. And then with DTF being, you know, in that space too, it's interesting, the crossover and it's interesting to see manufacturers who are typically in just the wide format space now adding DTF because it's pretty much in their wheelhouse, especially if they already have printers that are on the textile side. So it will be interesting to see for me, I think, how those companies advance the technology in the next couple of years and then what other printers who are specific to screen printing and apparel, when they will start adding more technology to DTF too. And that balance, I think. Yeah. I'm, I mean, Maki's done it. They're, mm-hmm. So what we're running is what I would call Gen 2 probably. Um, of of the DTF printers, and that's the Mongoose. Okay. I would say mo- the Mamakis with the self-cleaning is Gen 2.5. Yeah. And I'm waiting for that next big wave of tech advance. Right. Uh, Mamaki up the game where they have the self-cleaning and self-maintaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, me, personally, I didn't buy it because I'm waiting for the next round. Yeah. I know how to run what we're doing and operate it consistently so i mm-hmm. i didn't need that right but there's there's another wave of print tech coming out 
Yeah, and for sure. I mean, every every six to 12 months, there's something new coming. I, I think it's always fun when new products come out. I'm always excited to see, you know, what people are doing and what's going to be able to help um, someone's business. Exactly. Okay, so we teased a little bit earlier with, you mentioned rugby. Um, let's talk about finding your niche. And is would you consider rugby the graphics niche? Rugby is one of B Graphics's niche. Uh, and uh, one of our employees, her name's Maddie Miller. Uh, she plays, uh, played collegiate soccer. And then after she graduated, she started to play women's rugby. And it was a, a sport that we knew about, but had no real reach. There's four rugby teams within an hour of me. Oh, so wow. it's not like this is a local thing like this is like I'm talking club level, like yeah. adult men and women total four within a one hour radius. So not not very many. Yeah. And she joined one of these teams and she was a designer at the time for our apparel sales. Mm -hmm. And she started getting more and more rugby teams as she would go to events that would say, hey, I want your service. So the, at that time, it was just B Graphics online stores. Mm -hmm. And we looked at it and we're like, we should spin you off as your own branch. And she runs R-U-G-B-E-E.co, rugby. And so we played on the words. And she just launched her 106th store. So out of our 1,000, she has 106 that are dedicated to rugby teams. Wow. So there's, awesome. and we just met about the different organizations that we don't work with, who else is in the country. And when we talk, we talk like a rugger and only rug, rug, rugby people would know that a rugger is a rugby yeah. player. Uh, yeah. First time I've ever heard that. Yeah. So I didn't know that. Um, I learned that and it's, it's a fun game to watch. They beat the hell out of each other. Yeah. But we we they're just like any other team organization they want to show their pride wear their colors have their team gear on have their hats their beanies their quarter zips their jackets and they can buy one risk free and we print everything on demand and she goes to rugby events different uh they're just like any other niche they have national conferences yeah. and national championships and uh we're we're there and that brand is growing for us. That's awesome. Yeah, that's definitely finding a, a niche in the apparel space. But you mentioned there are a few others. Are they kind of similar, like finding a different kind of interesting sport that maybe other print shops haven't really conquered? What else is going sure. on with the graphics? Um, yeah, hmm. so we, we do a lot of the same ones. Uh, but I guess the biggest focus of our niche is we're core centric. We, we're running the same programs no matter what label's on it. So it's just the products that are being sold are focused on what that niche wants. Right. So we go from rugby players to a website called My Stable Store. It's equestrian-based. Okay. High-end high -end products. We go from uh, girls and guys tackling each other in the mud to <laughs> half-million-dollar horses. So it's as far on the other end of the spectrum as you can imagine. 
and we rebrand and we we speak differently and we look differently and we sell the same product. Yeah. We sell more expensive products, but we sell instead of a $30 Sportex sweatshirt, we're selling a $120 North Face sweatshirt. Okay. Uh, and it's just a different niche market. Yeah. And we work with barns across the United States to sell their um, X insert name here, stable. Yeah. With a but- big horse embroidered on the back or printed or. Uh, and that's that's just two of the niches, and the other ones are probably more along the lines of what everyone else sees. Mm-hmm. All, baseball teams, custom corporate stores, those aren't as niched out as the two that we really focus on. So the, the rugby. The thing about it is, no, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. The thing about it is, our communication is focused at how that community talks. So with the rugby niche you were able to talk to one of your employees and and that kind of spiraled from there do you have any tips for anyone listening who was like oh i should find a niche too like what would you say are the best steps into figuring out what that may be sell what you love do what do what makes you happy um like you they know if if i rolled in there and tried to sell to a rugby team not knowing anything about rugby I'm going to get shunned away so fast that that they're not even going to speak to me again. But Maddie, who plays, loves it, enjoys it, goes to the events and can talk about it. They welcome her with open arms Mm -hmm. and she's really good at providing a service. Right. That's the other part. You you can talk a big game up front, but you do have to provide behind it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where our team here is exceptional. Because we handle all the customer service. There's no complaints. Go back to the person in charge of the store. Uh, we handle all sizing issues. We, we take care of all of that heavy back end that they typically have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So find something that you love and then figure out, if you don't already, like the language that they're speaking so that you can connect best with them and give them that customer service and kind of that community that they were probably looking for before they found you. And, and ways to get apparel. Exactly. Okay. And of, don't go, yeah. don't lead in with, don't lead in with, uh, Hey, I can sell you this. Be a part of the community first. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's a good idea. Um, okay. Well, speaking of employees a little bit, you do a really cool thing. I mean, obviously it seems like you're, you're connected with your employees. You obviously, you know, knew that one of them was into rugby, but you do cool things for them. One example is for, their work anniversary, you celebrate them with a party and they spin a wheel and can get a gift card. And I know you have other um, employee benefits. Can you talk about some of those benefits and how they've helped with employee retention? Yeah, that's a that's a big thing in this day and age. And we I, I joke that on every one of those wheels that they could spin, it's just a cell phone where you type in the stuff you want to win or a tablet but I always put dinner with Davis on it and no one ever seems to want to take it. I can't, <laughs> I can't figure out why they oh all kind gosh. of laugh at me, <laughs> but we will bring in uh monthly. We celebrate or we celebrate the work of our series. Uh, if it's not on that day, we try to celebrate them in that month I- um, where we'll have everybody. Susan who, who started with us that month, the, on their birthdays, the entire staff gets to eat. 
Uh, so 20, 24 people, however many people are there that day. If it's, uh, if it's John's birthday, everybody's getting food, not just John. So that's 20 some meals where they don't have to buy lunch or bring lunch. Uh, and we'll do pizzas or pastas or cater in uh, a Mexican array or a Chinese buffet and uh, mix it up and bring in just different foods, buffet style. So uh, everyone likes food. Yeah, and free food. Uh, <laughs> we'll also uh, we'll also give out like monthly gift cards uh, mm-hmm. where every employee gets $50 to Walmart or to uh, like an Applebee's chain of restaurants or that family of Darden family restaurants or just mm-hmm. something different to mix it up. So we, we try to do that monthly. Uh, obviously end of the year bonuses we give out and probably our biggest one we did this year is uh, in the last year, we tested this out in the summertime and that was, we work 40 hours. I'm sorry. Our employees work 39 hours they get paid for 40 every week and we are done at 1:30 on Fridays. That's awesome. So, uh it it almost it almost ends up being an extra paid week off mm-hmm. for if you account back for every hour. Sure. And they have a two and a half day weekend. So if they're going somewhere, yeah, they're not getting there at eight o'clock on a Friday. They're getting there at five o'clock on a Friday, so they can still make dinner. Mm-hmm. And since we've switched, it, it's been, it was supposed to be a three month trial. Uh, and the staff would not let us go back to it. They did not want to be there on Friday any later than they had to be. If there's something that needs to be, be done, most staff will stick around for an extra hour and no, just water under the rug, right? Mm-hmm. No big issue. Right. We're still leaving at 2 30. Yeah. They'll give an hour of overtime if there's some big job. Mm-hmm. But we we plan for it. We don't plan for deliveries on Friday. We we don't tell people to come into the office on Fridays. They we invite them in Monday through Thursday. Yeah, and it works. Um, people are happier. Uh, I mean, who's not happy when you get to you can go get your haircut at two o'clock on a Friday? Right. Start the weekend off early. Um, my well, my former position. There was a company that owned it. We were the the most recent company and. We had every other Friday off if you worked um, a little bit extra during the week. And that was something that, you know, you look forward to, but you also got your work done in a more efficient way. It's like, oh, I have this Friday off. I have four days. I'm going to get this done. I'm not going to, you know, dilly dally or whatever. I want to not work on this Friday. So yeah. um, it was such a such a benefit and such a push. And everyone really, really enjoyed it. Um, and people were pretty respectful too of like, oh, that's Adrian's day off. We're not gonna, you know, bugger. Um, so that's great for your employees. It's it's funny that that was supposed to be just a, a little three month test and everyone was like, No, we're doing this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they wouldn't let they would not let us go back to it. And one other thing I didn't mention, we switched to time off by the hour. Mm. So say you have a kid and they have a we're in the northeast. They have a two-hour school delay to the weather. Okay. You don't have to take a half day or miss a day of work because your child has you have to stay home with your child till it gets on the he get him, okay. or, him or her get on the bus. You can use one hour, take the kid to school, and then come in an hour late. There's no issues, there's no questions, there's no arguments. Okay. It's 
these were on the hour basis. One, because we don't want to lose the employee for half a day or a full day. Right. Why would we force them into taking a half a day or a full day when they don't need it? Mm-hmm. They just need a little bit of help to get their kid to school. Yeah. So or like, it's, I really taking a full day because I have a dentist appointment at 11 a.m.? Like, yeah. Exactly. And then the other part of that is a lot of we've, we've switched to laptops. Mm. Um, we've, we're, we're in the process of everyone getting laptops in the office. So I have a doctor's appointment. I'll be there, and it's back by my house. So, mm. Okay, finish the rest of your day from home. Right. Like, you, can, you can work from home. Yeah, that's allowed in yeah. 2024. Like, right. it's, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. We trust you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't make sense for you to drive a half hour back. Right. So they'll take their hour for, for their appointment. And when they get back on their computer, they just go back to work. Yeah. I think it's having that trust and also that communication with the leaders like yourself in the company, you know, being able to talk things through and, and figure out and know that like work isn't their entire life and things happen or it make it easier for them. Like that to me would totally help with, you know, retaining employees because they know that the, you trust them and that there's open communication. Exactly. It was, uh, it was a little, a bit of a change. Uh, yeah. My mother, who is an owner of this business, she worked in the steel mill for 35 years. Used to punch in, punch out, uh, very regimented, uh-huh. very strict. And she's like, what are you doing? Like, uh, these time cards are all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, get used to it because <laughs> I'm not going back. Yeah. And I'm, People are just happier. They're easier to work with. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's, e- it's, my biggest thing is I hate stress and I don't like working hard. Yeah. I don't mind working. I just am not going to do it hard. Yeah. <laughs> and I, if there's an easier way, you can bet I'm going to do my best to figure out what that way is. And this is part of that easier way. Yeah. Has your mom seen the benefit? So she's retired. Okay. Uh, she doesn't, she doesn't come in very often. Okay. Uh, but, She's, uh, I've seen the benefit. So sure. that's, uh, that's, but she, she had a hard time, uh, just understanding the idea yeah. of operating a business in that manner. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That makes sense with her background for sure. Um, <laughs> and that would be a change. Thought it was nuts. Yeah. <laughs> well, Davis, you're really big on self-improvement. Um, any business books or podcasts or anything that you recommend to our listeners right now? So there's a couple different things that I've been doing and I don't have a book for you to read. I don't have, uh, I just was on the, uh, the print hustlers podcast. If you guys want to check that episode out, I'll drop that on there. Awesome. Uh, yes. Listen the, to it for sure. Hi, Bruce and Steven. But the, so their podcast and I, I've been watching a lot of TikTok. And that's TikTok on self-improvement, TikTok on automations, TikTok on printing trends. If you guys are not paying attention to what the home market is doing right now, you're going to be in trouble. Because if you think a mom with a, uh, a heat press is, isn't a competitor in your area, uh, if she gets her hands on DTF printing, she's a competitor. Mm-hmm. And you will slowly start to see businesses uh, be affected by that. Now, it'll take a little bit of time. But what are they selling? Because the market they're selling to is on TikTok. So 
I'm watching trends. I'm watching what people are doing. I'm learning on um, this type of automation technology. I hear about it on there, but it only gives you a 30-second clip. So then you go down a rabbit hole and try to find find where that's coming from or where was this source information or what is this piece of equipment? And that can take you a whole other pathway. And right. lastly, I've been listening to Blinks. Uh, Blinkist. I don't know if you ever heard of that one. No, I don't think so. It is like a subscription service, but it's like 15 minute shorts of a book. Oh, okay. So if you don't, if you're not, if you have very short attention span and you're not a whole book reader or Blink, book listener you can get a blink of a book understand what the idea of the book is and then if you want to read it then you can get the audiobook or or buy the book so that's cool it's longer than a two set two minute clip mm-hmm. and they they kind of summarize it for you mm-hmm. so that's that's been the three things i've been doing most recently cool kind of like the cliff notes you mentioned earlier it's kind of mm-hmm. like a version of it Cliff notes, they read to you. Right. You don't yeah. have to read them yourself anymore. Man. Oh, 2024. You've made life so easy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people are on TikTok um, for so many reasons. And you have to be reminded that there are a lot of educational tools, you know, in that space to self-improvement, business, automation, AI. Like you can really get into the weeds there and learn a lot. So that's cool. It's funny. No book or podcast, but same thing at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I try to take it from a, a little bit everywhere. Right. Okay. Well, speaking of social media, where can everyone find B graphics? Are you on TikTok? We are, we're not on TikTok, yeah. uh, but we are on uh, Facebook and Instagram and that's at B graphics, B E E G R A P H I X. And that would be the same at Instagram. Awesome. Davis, this has been super fun. Love hearing um, what you're doing now and just your journey. Do you have anything else you want to share um, to our DTF Printing Podcast listeners? It would probably be if you're buying it for the first time, do the research and do the math. Know before you buy and get excited for what's to come out this year. I think there's going to be some some pretty big equipment changes by the end of the year. Uh, if they, if it follows the trend of the last three, there will be some pretty substantial jumps. There's also going to be a lot more competitors in the space. So if you think you're going to get in and sell transfers to everybody on the internet, there's already about 5,000 people doing that. So <laughs> there's, uh, you may be a little late to the game, but there it's not a get rich quick scheme. And I, I think people should be aware of that as well. You're not just going to uh, be a part of a Ponzi scheme or a tree and try to think it's going to make you a million dollars because it's not. Awesome. Well, great tips, Davis. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate you having me today, Adrian. Thank you. Of course. All right. Well, we'll catch you on the next episode of the DTF Printing Podcast. In the meantime, head to dtfprinting.com to discover new ways to grow your print business. Thanks for listening.